Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be able to be with you, uh, be here bringing a message. Man, I'm just, uh, I've been pausing and praying and giving thanks to God for what he's doing and leading us throughout this process. It's been fun for me personally to get to know all of you, to be able to come here and to see just a bunch of familiar faces and people that I've come to love and pray for. And um, man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled about what God's doing. Let me just give you two announcements about what to expect as we sort of move forward. The first is, I've loved to get to know everyone here so that I can pray for you and, and know you well. We're, one of the things that we're going to be doing as a church at Orland Park Christian Reform Church is this week, we're going to be putting up pictures of those of you who have submitted pictures and bios right on a wall in our church so that members of Orland Park CRC can get to know your faces and a little bit about you. There's still time to send photos to Debbie and she'll get them to our office and then they will show up on our wall so that people at Orland Park CRC can get to know you. If you're willing to do that, that would be really wonderful because um, I think this would be a great way for our congregations to get to know each other a little bit better. The second is I want to make sure that you're aware of the process related to Kaylee Meza. So he was here this last weekend. He had the opportunity to meet with the council. He had the opportunity to preach here, after which I received word from Joel that the council here has, uh, has recommended moving forward along with him. And so this is the process at Orland Park CRC. This upcoming Tuesday, we have a group of elders called the Administrative Elders, and they will meet to consider uh, this recommendation to recommend a call to Kaylee Meza. If they decide to move that forward, our council will vote uh, online on Wednesday and Thursday about if they will recommend that the congregation extend a call to Kaylee. If that council, if the council votes yes on that, then we would have a meeting for the congregation on, uh, on Tuesday, not this upcoming Tuesday, but the Tuesday after, uh, for them to ask questions about Kaylee and about the process I'll be there to answer questions along with some of the elders at Orland Park CRC. And then, Lord willing, the vote to call him would be the morning of the 20th. Starting the morning of the 20th, we'd vote online through the, uh, through the 21st. That link will go out to Orland Park CRC members to, uh, to call Kaylee Meza. And if we extend him a call, then he would have a couple of weeks to pray and consider and to let us know uh, if, he, uh, if he says yes to that call to come and serve here. Uh, as the campus pastor. And so that is, uh, that's what we're praying about, that God would lead and direct, and if, w- if he's willing, that he would bring Kaylee to pastor in this place. And man, um, I would just ask that you join me in praying about all that. I also want to make sure that you know that you can come and ask me any questions about anything after the service, uh, so that if anything is unclear, that I can help clarify that a little bit so that we're all on the same page and we all know what's going on moving forward. But that's what's happening. Feel free to ask any other questions. Also, feel free to send in a a picture. I love your faces. We'll put that on our wall so that Orland Park CRC can pray for you also. Today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 5 in our time together this morning. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 29. When I wrote this message first, I, uh, I have the privilege of teaching sometimes at the Chicago Course on Preaching. It's a, a training in institution for preachers, and part of the task was I was supposed to write a sermon that I would deliver to a group of people that didn't know Jesus. They said, if you could just 
preach this in a way that, that you'd be like communicating to a group of people who didn't know Jesus that you know, how would you preach this text of scripture in that sort of context? So the context that I chose is the improv group that I'm a member of. You all know that I do improv in Wheaton sometimes. It's in the style of William Shakespeare. It's the nerdiest thing that I do. My wife loves to make fun of me for it. And I do a lot of nerdy things. This is the nerdiest of all of them. And, uh, and so I just envisioned, as I sort of was writing this and preaching this, I envisioned the six people that I perform Shakespeare improv with, some of uh, whom do not know the Lord. And I, I've you know, adjusted it, I'm assuming, you know the Lord. So I'm, I've adjusted it, but that was sort of the way that I first composed this. Uh, and it's a beautiful passage that's helpful in all of that because Jesus demonstrates through what he does and what he says who he is. And the passage is really interestingly structured to show us that same sort of thing. So let's take a look at this passage here at God's Word and let's see and hear who it is that Jesus is John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who's the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man had been healed. Uh, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgments to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son 
also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Amen. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider now this section of Scripture, we pray that you would enable us to both see and hear who Jesus is and believe in him and reorient our entire lives around him. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, for uh, me and my wife, were the parent-teacher conferences for our daughter who is in four-year-old preschool. It's a really fascinating time because you get to hear all the things that she does well, all the things that she's not so good at. She's not great at recognizing the second half of the letters of the alphabet. She confuses six and nine. Apparently, these are all very common things for preschoolers. But one of the things that we hear is that she really nails show and tell. And I'm very happy about all of that. She's very good at show and tell. She also can't zip her coat up. We're working on that with her. She's going to get it, I know it. But she's nailing show and tell right now, which is a big deal in 4K. It's a big deal because of the fact that it helps kids to be able to stand in front of a group and give a little bit of a demonstration. This is important for their own development. It helps those who are watching to have the object and then to also hear about the object. Because of all of that, it's an effective pedagogical tool. Pedagogy means teaching, apparently. Uh, I, I learned that in my parent-teacher conference. They use this uh, pedagogical tool of show and tell. What's beautiful is that in John chapter 5, Jesus uses that same pedagogical tool, that same teaching tool. He first shows who he is, and then he tells them who he is. Jesus is doing some show and tell here. It's offensive to the religious elites. It's offensive to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But he's a faithful rabbi and a faithful teacher. And he wants us to be able to understand who he is. And so he shows us and he tells us. Those are going to be our two points. First show and then tell. And then there's one verse that we shouldn't miss, which unites the two sections, which really, in a beautiful way, demonstrates what this whole thing is all about. And that's what we'll conclude with. So let's start with show. This passage opens up. We're in Bethesda. There's a man who would lay by the pool there. There are a few things that are happening that it's important for us to just get clear on. The first is, apparently, at this pool, there was this understanding that an angel would come once a day and stir the pool so that the first person in after the angel would stir the pool would be healed. That was the belief. Now, uh, there's a a biblical commentator, D.A. Carson, who wrote a great commentary on the the Gospel of John, and what he says is that this pool was fed by two different streams that each flowed in different directions. One came in from one side, one came in from the other. And so when those two streams would flow at the same time, they both flowed sort of intermittently, but when they would come in together, then the water of this pool would stir. It would circle like this. And so some people believe that that was an angel stirring it. There was, it was also a red pool, really uh, red minerally pool, and so there were genuine healing properties in some of these minerals, and people would experience some of these benefits through getting into the pool. But this man said that because he was lame and unable to walk, he wasn't able to make himse- his way into the pool, and so he could never be healed. And the man had been lying there for 38 years, 
And Jesus saw him lying there and knows that this man has been lying there, knows he's been there longer than Jesus Christ, the one born of a virgin, had been living. Jesus was not yet 33 years old at this particular time, and so this man had been laying at the pool longer than Jesus had been on earth, but obviously much shorter than Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, had been. And so Jesus knows. And he asks a question. Do you want to be healed? And that seems like the most obvious question, right? This guy's like, yeah, I've been here 38 years. It's what my whole life is about, just to be healed. Of course I want to be healed. But it's a more difficult question than we would imagine initially if we spend some time thinking about it. Do you really want to be healed? Well, if this man is healed, his whole life is going to change. Every part of his life has been directed towards being healed, and if he receives that thing, everything is going to be different. Every day is going to be different since he's been, uh, you know, waking up, he's been going to the pool, he's been hanging around the same group of people. If he's healed, he loses that group of people, he loses his community, his whole life needs to be reoriented. If he's healed, his life is going to completely change, and everything that he's ever known will be gone. That's fearful in a lot of ways. So Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? I think that this is actually a challenging question for us. Also, do we want to be healed? When Jesus comes to us through the scriptures and asks us, do we want to be healed? Is the answer yes. I was talking to a prison chaplain some uh, years back, and he said that he would do his work with these men who were imprisoned, and their whole lives would be structured around wanting to get out of prison. Some of them would be serving long sentences. Some of them even probably 38 years. And so each day they would get up and orient their lives with a hope that one day they would be out of prison. And then that day would come. And he said that again and again and again, people would commit crimes once they were on the outside because they couldn't deal with the freedom. And they wanted to be back in. That actually having that thing that they had oriented their life around was, was terrifying restructuring their life was so difficult. Receiving the thing that they've been hoping for and having, him not so- having it not solve everything is, is crushing. Receiving freedom and realizing that you don't know how to live in that environment is difficult. Do you want to be healed? Everything is going to change if you are. There are a number of times where I talk to people, Christians, who are caught in sin. And they'll come and talk to me and say, Pastor, I've been struggling with this for a long time. And I want to be free of it. And the follow-up questions are usually, well, are you willing to reorient your, your life in such a way that you're not going to fall into these same sorts of things? You really want to be healed. Do you really want to give this thing up? Because that means that you cannot or will not engage in it anymore. You need to live in a way that's different enough that you won't experience that thing again. And one of the things that you sometimes find is that people who testify that they want to be healed really want to continue engaging in that sinful behavior that they, demonstrate, that they say they don't want anymore. They want to keep doing it, but don't want the consequences of doing it anymore, but don't want genuine healing. Do you want to be healed? Do you want the kind of healing that Christ offers, the kind of love and joy and peace that's yours when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Your life is going to change if you receive it. It's going to be radically reoriented. Do you want to be healed? Everything changes if you're healed. Do you want it? 
Because Jesus heals this man and then illustrates the change that's even more fundamentally important through what he says to him later. Jesus heals the man, and immediately this guy takes up his bed and walks. He's completely restored. 38 years, lacking the ability to walk, all disappears at the voice of Jesus. By him simply saying, get up and walk, his paralysis is gone. When Jesus just speaks the word, the paralysis that had gripped this man for his whole life runs away, and this man is restored. And the man gets up and walks. And what's so funny in the passage is that he doesn't even know who it is that heals him. He doesn't even know it was Jesus who did it. He just says, the man who did this said that I need to take up my bed and walk. And the other astounding thing that happens in this passage is that the Pharisees see him, and instead of rejoicing because God has done a work of healing in this man's life, they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to pick up your bed and walk. There's a theological term for the way that the Pharisees are acting here. And that term is crazy. This is crazy that they see that God has done a work and they're like, hey, get back down. You're not supposed to pick up your bed on the Sabbath. Here's another thing that's a reality for all of us. Sometimes we can be so fixated by the, by the particulars of how this or that thing works out that that we miss a great work of God because we haven't received it through the appropriate, I don't know, procedures or channels or whatever. Or sometimes, sometimes we can do the sort of thing that the Pharisees do here where they were seeking to preserve the Sabbath, which was a good thing. But they were doing it by adding all of these human restrictions and regulations, which was a very bad thing. And actually those restrictions became the thing that they really cared about, so they missed the work that God was doing. Now, this has been a problem. You, you, may, you might have seen this in your own life. When I was in college, I lived with a family, and the father of the family said, you know, when I was a boy, I, I loved to play catch with my dad. I could play catch with my dad on Sunday, but I couldn't throw the ball hard. I had to throw it lightly if we threw it on Sunday. That was a restriction <laughs> added to the keeping of the Sabbath, which was man-made. It's, it's foolish. I could throw it, but I couldn't throw it hard. That's a tendency. The tendency exemplified by the Pharisees here. You're healed? Well, get up tomorrow, buddy. All right? Because that's the day you can get your bed up. Today, just stay down there. Sure, God might have done a work. Let's celebrate it tomorrow, not today. Today is the Sabbath. Man, there are so many examples of this sort of thing. God does a work. And we might even see it. And then not be excited about it because we feel like, well, you didn't fill out the proper form. You can enjoy this sort of thing as long as you get the proper approvals. And you shouldn't do this unless you're following all of the right sort of restrictions. I hope that I'll put it this way. One of the things that the Gospel of John does so well, and 1 John, and 2 John, and 3 John, is just like puncture through all of the rigid structures that we sometimes put in place to remind us of the fundamental importance of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And I hope that in reading this section of Scripture, we might see 
man, Jesus is glorious. I've got to celebrate him. And then Jesus finds this man again, and he demonstrates that, that sin is much more damaging than a lifelong inability to walk. Verse 14 says that after Jesus, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is amazing, isn't it? Jesus finds him again. He doesn't even know it was Jesus who healed him. Jesus says, see, you're well. You can walk now. I spoke and the paralysis ran away. Now don't sin so that nothing worse may happen to you. Do we recognize how sin always brings death? In the garden, when sin came into the world, sin always it, it dragged its best friend death along with it, and it's the reason we die, because all of us sin now. But sin also brings relational death to all of us. It will break down relationships. It will, it will harm your life. It will steal your joy. And it will lead, if we continue in sin and away from the Lord Jesus, it will lead to eternal death. And so Jesus warns, hey, you can walk now. Let me tell you something worse than paralysis. It's sin. And so go, now that you can walk, go and be somebody who's committed to righteousness and holiness. Jesus demonstrates that having been healed, having been restored, this man is able to live a holy and righteous life honoring God, and that is actually far more fundamentally important than his ability to walk. Jesus can offer us all manner of material blessings. Jesus can sometimes even heal us when we are sick. But if we miss out on the fact that the spiritual freedom that he offers us is more fundamental and important, we're going to miss out on what it is that, what it is that he is doing. And so as those who have been redeemed by him, have received his goodness, have received his grace, we should reorient our lives in the way that Jesus is describing here, avoiding sin. Because to sin is far worse than any manner of physical disability. It speaks to the kind of change that the healing that Jesus brings should offer, a real deep healing. The best healing is turning from sin to righteousness. It's turning away from self to trust in Jesus and follow him. And we should recognize that Jesus doesn't, doesn't expect just a profession of faith and then us remaining the way that we were before we trusted in Jesus, but a real-life change. Jesus expects that your life will change if you follow him. He also expects that we'll see what he's doing through this miracle. He gives us this miracle, here's the show, to demonstrate that he's God. But then he's going to tell us about it. So let's talk about the tell. Jesus has shown us who he is. He's now going to tell us who he is. Jesus demonstrates his own authority. He says that he receives it from the Father and that he is the Son of God. You see, Israel considered itself the Son of God, but Jesus applies it to himself specifically. And then he says the things that the Father is able to do, he is able to do, and he focuses specifically on saving from death. He showed that he's able to heal the lame. Now he talks about how he's able to save from death. And if you have your Bibles open still, you can, t you can check these passages with me, but he mentions death four times here in the second half of the passage. Let me just run through them quickly. Verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life 
to whom he will. Verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He's passed from death to life. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And then verses 28 and 29 says the same thing. He repeats himself again. In each instance, talking about how he has the authority to save from death. Jesus is not able to simply save from disability. He's able to save from death. And what Jesus is saying is that the hour is coming, and it's in fact in their midst with him being there, with him being on the earth, the hour has come, and the hour is going to come, and we will bear witness to it, we will see it, where all those who have died, when Jesus returns, he'll speak the word, get up and walk. And not just paralysis runs away, but when Jesus, when he returns, speaks that word, get up and walk, death itself will run away. And you and I will live, as will everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a promise for you. This is a promise for me. That the power of the voice of Jesus is so great that not only does paralysis run away, death runs away when Jesus speaks. Hallelujah. That's amazing. Jesus will show in John chapter 11 that what he's saying is true. His friend Lazarus will have died. And Jesus will say something very simple. Lazarus, get up and walk. And Lazarus will get out of the grave. When Christ Jesus comes to restore all things, you know, if the Lord tarries, and I'm in the grave, Hey, Derek, get up and walk. And my great enemy and yours won't have its grip on me anymore. And I'll hear and I'll respond because Jesus is able to save from death. Hallelujah. You know, one of the things that um, is... Uh, it's a privilege, but it's a weighty, heavy, difficult privilege as a pastor, is I, ha- I have buried a number of people. And it's always, it's always sad. It's always painful to have to say goodbye. And as Christians, we recognize the beautiful reality that because of who Jesus is, he's transformed death from our great enemy into this door through which we can walk and see the hope of our life. See Jesus. But still, anytime that you're laying a loved one in the ground, you feel the weight of that loss. And I feel it. But the hope that animates every single believer is the hope that Jesus mentions here in John 5. That all Jesus has to do to that loved one that we've said goodbye to is say, get up. 
and death will run away. And that person that we miss will, will, will rise again. Never again to die. Never again to die. And Jesus is not only able to save from death, he's able to save from sin, he's able to save from judgment. And that's the other thing that he says here. Because the Father is able to free from judgment, Jesus is able to free from judgment. That's the promise that he's offered. He is able to save you from sin and death. He was able to, tr- to heal the one who trusted in him here in John chapter 5 in the beginning. He's able to heal from death and sin all of those, all of us who trust in him now. That is our great need now too, to turn from sin and trust in him. And both the showing and the telling reveal the same thing. And it's a verse that links these two passages. Verse 18, we can take a look at it together. Let me just read it. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Right in the middle, there's this editorial comment that Jesus was making himself equal with God, and he was, and he is. This is why he can heal. This is why he calls this man to holiness, because he is God. This is why he is the only one who can save from judgment. This is why he saves from death. Why he can kill death, because Jesus is God. And so every one of us should cry out to him. Yeah, I want to be healed. Take away from me anything, anything that's bringing me away from you, Lord. I want to be healed and let me live, really live with my life oriented around you. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have shown us and what you have told us here in John chapter 5. We pray that we would see and hear that Jesus is God and believe. And by believing, know that when Jesus speaks the word, that death itself will die. And we will live. May that beautiful truth Enable us to orient our lives around Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We get to come.